Good morning. Got a great crowd, especially for a holiday weekend. You never know, we travel in and out, but we're glad that you're here today. I want to begin by calling your attention to an insert in the bulletin. Uh, this is your special invitation to take part in, in a wonderful celebration. If you notice, it is a dedication and dinner. It is at Tennessee Children's Home. In case you've been sleeping for the last several months, we've been talking about this. We as a church uh, have committed to giving $200,000 to help in this relocation project. Uh, one of the homes, the cottages there that houses the residents is going to be uh, named uh, in honor of this church and the sacrificial giving. Uh, many of you know uh, that this church has the origin of uh, be the beginnings of the Tennessee Children's Home. Um, there was an immediate need where some folks that are a part of this church just reached out to help some children that were in a desperate situation, and that was the beginning, and it's evolved over the years, and it's become so much better than that, that um, meager beginning, but it was a wonderful start, uh, and we get to participate in that. Notice there are four parts to the evening. At 4 o'clock is the dedication, at 4.30 is the tour, at 5 is the dinner, and at 6 there will be a worship there in their gymnasium. Um, there is a head count requested if you plan to eat. So if you want to be a part of the dinner, if you will, just um, the RSVP is there. There's a sign-up sheet at the information center or call the office this week. The deadline is Friday on that. Uh, so Tennessee Children's Home is opening their arms and inviting us to come, and that will be our gathering next Sunday night. So not a whole lot of time to respond to that, so just uh, be aware and want you to be a part of that special time. Also, and related to that, just this past week, we as a church became uh, aware of two young children uh, that were rescued out of a very difficult situation, a little infant and a toddler, and thank you for your response. There's a quick email that went out at the end of the week and overwhelmingly response of supplies, diapers, uh, help, uh, money. Uh, the latest of that is the, those immediate needs are met, and so a big thank you for all of you who just jumped in to help at the at the last minute and so if more needs arise in the days to come we'll we'll communicate that it's one of those where i was sharing that with celia and then she had you know about a thousand plus a million more questions about it and i said i don't know you know all we know is this and that's all you know as well and yet your generosity is just so overwhelming um so thank you for just hearing of that need uh, not knowing the, all the answers or the, to your questions, but giving to these little ones who have uh, a need. Um, speaking of answered prayer, uh, here's another one. Uh, we have been praying and praying and praying for God to help us as we were searching for a student minister. And God answered that prayer, and Jackson and Audrey, they're, they're with us today, and we're going to introduce them formally at the end of worship and share a little bit more about them, but I just want to say a word of welcome. Uh, our summer interns are here, it's the beginning of summer, and just a lot are going on, and we'll kind of conclude our, our morning uh, giving them a little more attention. For our lesson today, we are continuing where we left off last week. We're calling this series, One Another, and we're talking about this another love. John would speak of himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I love that description, don't you? That's you, and that's me. We are disciples 
whom Jesus loves. I hope you were here last week or had a chance to listen to the lesson as we uh, began this series of what it means to just one another as the, those many verbs are used in Scripture to describe how we are to care for each other, encourage one another, love one another, serve one another. The list goes on and on. The lesson ended with a very key point to begin this whole study, and that is to let God love you. If you want to love one another, it begins with letting God love you. When he fills your tank, when you know that love, when you experience that love, when you understand that grace, then you are equipped then to give and share that with others. We begin our study with what one another means, and it begins with this fundamental truth. You and I are disciples whom Jesus loved, and he's called us to love one another. And from there, we really begin to take on these important steps of what it means to love one another. Most of the love practice and talked about in our world today, and we copy that, we share the same words, it's more of a shallow love. Kind of what Mike was alluding to in his comments before his prayer about believing in Jesus and following Jesus. They, they sound similar, and yet they are so different. The world has its own definitions and explanations, and many of those are full of deceptions and compromises. The world has told us for years, love means never having to say, I'm sorry. We know that's not true. Love means doing whatever makes you feel good, or love means affirming or condoning what others are doing. But that's not the way Jesus loves, and that's not the love that he's calling us to give to one another. John 13, 34, and 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. What makes so many things in life more complicated than they need to be is just the very fact that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Like, how do you listen when you hear screaming so loud at the same time? May I go ahead and say that? Because you're all thinking that. But let's focus on what the Word teaches us this morning. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do you remember this quote by Rick Warren? It um, kind of made the, the, the circle a, a little while ago, but it's timeless. It's still very true. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. Think about this. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you must agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. As a follower of Jesus, you're called to love as Jesus loves. It's not an afterthought. It's who he is. It, it's, it's the core. It's first principle. This is discipleship one-on-one. -on -one. Keep the main thing the main thing. Love God and love people. And you cannot do one without the other. You cannot be a rule follower and lack in love. You can't do that. They go together. Sometimes we tend to skip over this love talk and say, well, give me some commands to obey, something I can sink my teeth into, and yet that's, you're missing the whole point. 
One man did this with Jesus, trying to focus in on, on obedience. Like, just give me the main obedience. What's the greatest command? Do you remember that question asked of Jesus? And you remember his answer? It's on the screen, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But Jesus didn't stop there. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Loving one another is truly how you live out your obedience as a follower of Jesus. And he tells us what that looks like. Love is the universal moral absolute. Sometimes we may tend to pat ourselves on the back for things we get right and all the while miss on this one of loving one another. So I would warn us all to beware of any form of religion that makes you appear right or clean when you're wrong in your loving, maybe when you're treating others like dirt. We have no other obligation before God that is greater than this loving one another obligation. You love God, you love people. That's what scripture tells us. A quick review of last week. Look on the screen, it's on your outline as well. Another love is a defining mark. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Another love is not optional. It's not a suggestion. This is not good advice. This is a command. Another love is unconditional. This is agape love we're talking about here. Unconditional love. This is love of above. This is the way God loves and the way he is commanding us to love. And another love is irrefutable. It's so compelling. It's so convicting. It's so beautiful. There's no denying it. Well, let's pick up there. Next is this. Another love is a choice. Yes, it's a command, but Jesus doesn't coerce us. He's not twisting our arm. It is our choice. We have to decide. We have to make a decision. And there's a bit of tension in this. I want to make sure we think about this. Because I don't want to just speak simply about this profound command to love. Because it's also a choice. I believe you cannot fully love one another without divine help. Without God's Holy Spirit helping you to love. Even when you don't feel like loving. Truly obeying this command. But one author made this statement. I think it's true. The Holy Spirit will not compel you to love more than you want to. So think about that. How much do you really want to love? Look at Colossians 3.14. It's on the screen. And over all these virtues, put on love. It's a decision. It's a choice. Just like you get dressed for the day, you have to kind of equip your mind, make a choice. You put on love. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 from the New Living Translation, let love be your highest goal. The English Standard Version translates that, pursue love. Meaning you decide. You're aware. You're awake. It's your choice. What's your decision going to be? You decide Jesus uses a completely different dictionary than the culture of his day and the culture of our day. There is another way to love. And this love is, a, is more on your being willing than your feeling. And this is where we need to be challenged a little bit with some of the talk of our culture and, and our thinking. It, it's everywhere. 
Consider the wording and, and the way love is present, presented to us in our culture, in, in, in music, in, in movies, in the way we talk, our conversations. Love, as we hear it expressed, is more about a feeling, is it not? It's a feeling. That's what we hear. It's even about falling, falling in love. We, we hear that phrase, you know, uh, fallen in love. It's, it's almost... It, it, Similar or, or not that different than falling into a ditch, like I couldn't help it, you know. Next thing you know, I, I fell into it. And, and the problem with that shallow definition and that wording, and, and again, you and I sometimes use that same wording, but if you can fall into it, then you can fall out of it. Because we're basing that kind of love on a feeling. Remember Elvis Presley who sang the words, I can't help falling in love, can't help it. You know, I can't help it, and yet that's not the way Jesus defined the words. As long as love is uncontrollable like that, then you may fall in and you may fall out. That's why couples who are in distress in their relationship, in their marriage, will say, I've, I've fallen out of love. And they mean that. That's sincerely how they feel. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about being willing, making a choice, making a decision. I don't love them anymore, truly. And the way I see it, the way I see Jesus defining it, that's a, a cowardly escape from the responsibility that you made, that you committed to. So stop feeling and start willing. But here's where we think about that. But wait, wait, wait. If, if I don't feel like it and then I, I act like it, then that's being hypocritical. That's being insincere. I don't want to be hypocritical. I want to be true to myself, you know. And I can't be true to myself if I don't feel that way. But hypocrisy, think about it. Let's define our terms here. So we're thinking about love and what that is. Hypocrisy is percent, pretending to be something that you have no intention of truly becoming. That's hypocrisy. When you're pretending what we're talking about here is, is you're not being a hypocrite when you go through the acting motions when you don't feel like them because that's the person you want to become. Because that's the person you've committed to be. That's what loving looks like. And so you step up into that and the feelings, they come later. It's that commitment. That's what we're talking about. A good example, parents... Some of you are wrestling with your little ones this morning. We are glad you're here. For those of us, it's been a while since we had little ones, babies that cry in church or, or cry in the middle of the night. You know, nobody feels like getting up at 2 in the morning to, care, to take care of that crying baby, right? Nobody feels like having their sleep interrupted. Or worse, when you've got a house full of kids and at 2 o'clock in the morning, you hear the sound of the stomach virus. Nobody feels like getting up and disinfecting everything in that room, right? But you get up and you do what needs to be done. That's a loving thing to do. That is true love. Not because you feel like it, because it needs to be done. And the feeling, that, that, that's not a part of that moment. That's making the right decision. So I remember when our kids were little, and I would hear that sound in the middle of the night. I would do the loving thing and wake up Celia and say, hey. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. 
Remember the story of the teacher trying to help her, her students in her class understand fractions? You know, for some people, some students, English is, it comes more easily. For some, math comes more, but for some, it's a struggle. Little Johnny was struggling with fractions, and she remembered that Johnny's from a large family. So she said, Johnny, think about this. There are six people in your family. Your mom bakes a pie for dessert, and so she's cutting that pie into pieces. How many pieces are going to be in the pie? How much pie does everyone get? And little Johnny is doing the, the math in his mind, thinking about everybody in his family, and he says, one-fifth. And the teacher says, okay, let's think about this. There are six people in your family. Your mom wants everyone to have some, so how big is your slice going to be, Johnny? And again, he says, one-fifth. And she says, Johnny, I don't think you're understanding fractions. And he says, well, maybe not, but I don't think you understand my family because my mom is going to say, I don't want any. That's what we're talking about here. Love wills to do the right thing think. Love wills to do the right thing, the best thing. Love is willing more than feeling. Jesus went to the cross, not because he felt like it. Remember his prayer? He willed himself to the cross. He was willing to do the right thing. And y'all, all of us, even believers, followers of Jesus, without thinking about it, we're going to drift to do the shallow thing, just like the world. We have to make this decision. That's why 1 Corinthians 14.1 says it well from the message. Go after a life of love. Well, next, this one another love, loving one another is a commitment. I've already alluded to this. Shallow loving makes relationships like everything else in our culture disposable. Easy come, easy go. This love one another, this is love over the long haul. This is love as a lifestyle. This is a choice. It's a decision. It's a commitment. Whether the feeling is there or not. Look on the screen at 1 Peter 4, verse 8. The ESV says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Don't you love that? It's true, isn't it? Love covers a multitude of sins. The New Living Translation renders that most important of all, continue to show deep love for one another. 1 John 4, verse 16 from the CEV says, If we keep on loving one another, we will stay one in our hearts with God, and he will stay one with us. See, anyone can love in the moment when the feeling is there, but Jesus is calling us to a greater love than that, more than that. And realize this love one another, this love as I have loved you that Jesus is commanding, we need help with that. We need divine help with that. Again, it requires the enabling of the Holy Spirit. You make that choice, but you need help to follow through with that. You can't do it on your own because it's not natural. It's not what you feel like doing. You have to decide it's the right thing to do, to live that out. Look at Romans 5, verse 5. I think it explains it very well. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The English Standard Version says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it's a choice, but it's also a fruit. Do you remember that? Paul explained the, the fruit of the Spirit, the first one listed, is love. When you're walking in the Spirit, then you're going to be a loving person. 
So you say, Lord, I'm yours. Fill me with your spirit today. Let me walk in your spirit, walk in your love to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. And if you pray that kind of prayer, then be prepared for your heart to change, for your, your personality to change even, your character to be transformed. When you pray like that and live like that, then you're going to have a fruitful life. That's what Scripture tells us. So you're going to become more patient. You're going to become more kind. You're going to be a person of goodness. This is the Holy Spirit working in you. This is what love looks like. And it's not necessarily because of the way you were raised or what you learned in school. And that may be a part of it. Maybe that sets you on a good trajectory. But what we're talking about here is you're submitting daily to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you're saying, Lord, fill my heart with love. Love those who are easy to love. Love those that are not easy to love. And then God will continue this discipleship training and put you in situations where you're going to have to be tested. And sometimes that's loving the people who are easy to love, and sometimes it's loving those who are hard to love. He puts this in a community called the church. And church is a great place to get love lessons. Some of that is examples to inspire us. We see that couple who've been married for, for decades, and we see that they've loved each other through the good times and the hard times. And we see that commitment, that steadfastness, and that inspires us. I want to have that kind of marriage. I want to live like that. We also see and experience difficult people, even at church, who stretch us. People who are hard to love. Don't look at them now, but they're in this room. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's you. You know what I'm talking about. But how can you grow? How can you grow in this one another love if you're not placed in a situation where you have to step into it and practice it? That's what we're talking about here. In Hebrews chapter 24 Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, this verse precedes the one about not forsaking the assembly. But I think this point is equally important. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. So when you think about how important it is that we gather together with the saints, and yes, we should to worship, but part of that gathering together is let's consider how to spur one another, encourage one another to love and good deeds. We need help with that. Because sometimes I'm a more loving person than other, and, and you as well. Sometimes we can be on the needy side. We need to spur one another on to this. It's our highest work. It's what we're to be known for, the way we love one another. And it takes commitment. I was thinking about that word commitment, and I'm concerned, especially the way athletes use that word now, I've made a commitment to go to this college and play this sport. Now I've got a commitment. I've got these three commitments, and, and coaches will brag on that, and you'll hear people talk about that. And yet we've come up with this, it's new to me, this word decommit. Have you heard that one? Can I say the word hate in a sermon? I hate that word, decommit. You know what comes to my mind? Renege. You've gone back on your commitment. 
It's not a, I'm in today until something better comes along and then I'm going to decommit and I'm going to commit over here. Well, was that a commitment? Not in my mind, not in my thinking, and for sure not the way Scripture describes it. Max Licato talked about Dave Robinson. Remember him? Major League Basketball player, huge success, multiple championships, rings. On the 10-year anniversary of his marriage, he wanted to renew his vows to his wife, Valerie. So he flew some of his teammates, his family, and Max and his wife to Hawaii for a vow renewal ceremony. So they're all on the beach as Max was telling the story. And Dave knelt down before his young boys, David Jr., Corey, and Justin, and looked them in the eyes and said these two statements. I want you to know I will never leave your mother. I want you to know you will always have a daddy. That is commitment. That's what we're talking about. Father's Day is just a few weeks away. So if you've got someone in your world who's been a father to you and expressed that kind of commitment be sure to express thankfulness. And if any of you are inspired to go to Hawaii or some exotic location for a vow renewal, I'd be happy to tag along and help. Commitment. Well, this verse brings me to another observation. Another love is action. Loving one another is action. You know this. Young couple got married, went on their honeymoon, they got back and the bride called her mother. The mom said, well, how was it? Was it a good, good honeymoon? He says, oh, it was so good. It was so romantic. And then there was this long pause, and this young bride just started sobbing. The mom said, how was it? What's wrong? She goes, oh, mama, it was all good. But as soon as we got back, Stan turned into the most, it's a different person. He used the most horrible language. He'd been saying things I'd never heard before. He's using these, these awful four-letter words. I, I just don't know. Maybe I should just come home. I'm going to say, wait, wait, calm down. What could be so awful? Tell me, what are these, these words that he's using? Because, oh, please don't make me tell you, Mama. I, I'm embarrassed. They're just so awful. Could I just come home for a little bit? She said, no, no, just tell me. Tell me what he says. Still sobbing, the young bride said, oh, Mama. He's saying words like cook and dust and iron. Jesus is calling us to a tangible kind of love. Not just words, not just songs, not just feelings, but a love from above. Look at 1 John 3, 18. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we want? Are we all hungry for that? Most love is just talk. Another love is walk. Some of you got the email about this infant and this three-year-old that had been rescued. We don't know anything about them. And you jumped. And you donated. And you bought. And you gave money. Some of you have been financially contributing to orphans in India. You just heard about them through... Uh, Abraham Lincoln, through Bill Hall, Lola Margaret, you don't know them, but every month you write that check. 
Some of you have been supporting Tennessee children some. Some of you have worked on staff, you've served on the board, you've been in part of their administration. Some of you have given your own money. In addition to what we as a church give, some of you have adopted children into your own home. More than just write a check, you've opened your hearts and your homes. That's concrete love. That's, that's a conduct. That's love in action. And that kind of love is costly. It's not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's a decision. It's also a great investment. Or one more, another love is a credit. Jesus is, if you read in scripture, he is not impressed with shallow loving. Doesn't talk about that in a good way at all. In fact, I shared this verse last week. Look at it again, Luke 6, 32 and 33. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. We understand the word credit, don't we? We understand debit and credit in our banking account. We also understand credit when it comes to uh, schooling, you know, have enough credits to graduate, enough credit hours. We understand credit. We get that. We wonder, do I get credit for this? We ask that question. And we can't help but bring that into our spiritual walk with God. I want credit for my life and my choices, my decisions. But don't expect Jesus to be impressed when you're nice to nice people. Anybody can do that. That's what he's saying here. Don't expect him to be impressed with loving people that you don't need God's help to love. To go that second mile and turn the other cheek. Remember, Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, there's a way to distinguish yourself from others who are not following him. Love your enemies. He said, do good to those who hate you. Do you remember his teaching? That's hard. Because you sure don't feel like it. You don't feel like turning the other cheek. You don't feel like going the second mile. You feel like striking right back. Same word, same action. And that's what the world will egg us on to do. Remember the Galatian church was arguing about works righteousness. You know, do, we have, do we have to keep all the Old Testament as well as accept Jesus? What does it mean? How, how do we get credit for our salvation? Paul wrote this simply, Galatians 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts, there's that word credit, counts, is faith expressing itself through love. Say one more verse, maybe the most powerful one in my mind in Scripture that illustrates this teaching on love. 1 Corinthians 13, you're familiar with it. Sometimes we skip over verses 1 through 3 and go straight to verse 4. And talk about what love is. But these first three verses really give the foundation. Look at verse 1. It's on the screen there. Note what it's saying here. Nothing I say matters. Isn't that what it's saying there? Nothing I, I might communicate with the tongue of angels. It doesn't matter. Nothing I say matters if I don't have love. Verse 2. Nothing I know matters. I may have special insights into mysteries. I may know things that you don't know. I may be further along in my understanding. It doesn't matter if I don't have love. 
I don't love those. Nothing I believe. People might want me to pray for them. That I've got a special relationship with God. Or maybe they feel like I've got a connection with God. doesn't matter if I don't love those people. Look at verse 3. Nothing I give will matter. You might have buildings with your names on them. Your contribution every week might be the biggest one. Or that special Sunday when we're giving to something, yours might be at the top of the list. doesn't matter if the people inside that building are not loved. If it's not given out of love. And nothing I do will matter. Even if you die, taking a stand for what you believe, it does not matter if there's not love in your heart. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, according to the message, So, no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. One author described this as gospel math or Bible math. Anything minus love equals nothing. If there's not love in it, it's nothing. It's for naught. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A few years ago, Mitch Albom wrote an international phenomenon, Tuesdays with Morris. Remember that? Maury was a, um, well, it's a writer's reunion with his old college professor, Maury Schwartz. Maury had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. So his life was wasting away. So the two men spent 14 Tuesdays together. And each day became a chapter in this best-selling memoir. On the eighth Tuesday, goes back a few years, Album brought a newspaper about Ted Turner. And he was frustrated about not being able to buy CBS network. And Turner was quoted as saying, I don't want my tombstone to read, never owned a network. And so their conversation then kind of went on what, what really matters in life, this acquiring, accomplishing, or, or giving and serving. It drew to a close as Schwartz explains why he's so interested in talking to people about their life, even though his own is ebbing away. He said this, I'm dying, right? Why do you think it's important to me to hear other people's problems? Don't I have enough pain and suffering of my own? Of course I do. But giving to other people is what makes me feel alive. Not my car or my house, not what I look like in the mirror. When I give my time, when I make someone smile after they're feeling sad, it's as close to healthy as I ever feel. There's another way to do life. And it's this love above. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love God, love people. You know, one of the things that's a challenge when we're talking to adults is it's kind of boring in our style. It's just the talking head up front. But one of the things that's fun about children's ministry is you can be creative. And they love it. And they learn that way. If you've ever been trying to teach children about some of the truths of Scripture, you, you can kind of think outside the box. And that's why we love VBS and, and putting on plays in special times where we can show the children what it looked like. And, and you really go back to the Scripture. Now, what really happened in the Scripture? 
One church was trying to help young people to understand the death, burial, and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And they had like a hole in their ceiling, and their plan was they were acting out Jesus' final moments with his disciples. And the plan was that they were gathered there on the mount, the disciples were there in Jesus. Jesus was going to quote the Great Commission. And when he finished the Great Commission, like going into preaching the gospel to all the world and make disciples, when he finished that quote, the guys pulling the rope were going to be backstage hoisting Jesus up in the air. Well, the actor, the man that was playing Jesus, flawless. He did it so well. And the disciples were just there taking it all in. The kids were enthralled, and Jesus started going up. But the guys that were pulling Jesus up lost their grip. And so the ascension sort of became the second coming all in the same scene. And the man playing Jesus, as he came back down, he looked at his disciples, and their eyes were just big as saucers. Everybody's eyes were big as saucers. Like, oh, what are you going to say now? And the man, without just missing a beat, says, oh, and one more thing. Love one another. And then those guys pulled him up. It was a great ending to that moment. But what you and I know, for Jesus, it was not a, and one more thing. It was his teaching from the beginning. It's, it's who he is. It's why he came. And even in that critical moment when he went to the garden, we talked about this a moment ago, and prayed, Lord, is there another way? He went to the cross, not because he felt like it. It was the loving thing to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Our song is to encourage you to say yes to Jesus because he loves you and to live a life following him. If you need to be baptized, we've got the water ready. If you're ready to confess your faith, we'll hear it. And as you confess it, we'll confess it with you because we've made the same confession. And then we'll be your family for you to love and we'll help you. And we'll consider how to help you to love one another, to love and good works. If you need prayer and encouragement, this song is to encourage you as well. Won't you come as we stand and sing? The Lord lived his countenance upon.